Ladies and gents, and welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. As always, I'm joined by Jordan. How's it going, Jordan? Good eye, mate. And uh, we have another special guest this week. We have Ian from Easy Allies. How's it going, Ian? Hi. It's good. Hi. How are you? Good. We got two two people from Easy Allies back-to-back weeks. It's awesome. We're love building humor. the love Justice you, so. League. <laughs> one by one. And we'll get <laughs> we'll get them on somehow, some way. Um, yes, yeah, so... Uh, the way the podcast works is we start by talking about what we've been playing. It uh, wasn't too busy of a week for me this week. Uh, I was playing The Final Station. I talked about it last week when we had Huber on. Are you familiar with The Final Station, Ian? Uh, I'm familiar with it. I have not yet played it. Okay, so I don't want to get too deep into it because I don't want to ruin it for, for you or anything. But, uh, yeah, it's a really cool game. Last week I said I was about halfway through. I dumped maybe about another hour and a half in, um, and I'm probably about an hour away from the end. Um, it's a fun game, still more of the same. Um the game's really cool because of its resource management. I really like that in games. It makes you think about how you're going to progress through a level. And then the train simulation is very easy, but it's really cool and interesting. It gives a different dynamic to the game. So I've just been playing through that more. Um, and then I put on my list uh, Virginia, but I actually wasn't able to get around to it. I was anticipating that I was going to be playing it this week, but I haven't gotten around to it. Um, it looks like a really interesting game. I don't think it takes too long to complete. Um, have you played Virginia yet, Ian? I'm, I've got it. And I'm really looking forward to playing it. I want to play it as a stream, I think. So I haven't, I've intentionally not started it until I've had time to stream it. Okay, nice. cool. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I want to get around to it. I was planning to this week and I just didn't for some reason. Uh, well, not for some reason. I was busy, but, um, and then I also played some <laughs> Overwatch as well. Uh, that game is just always like, you know, pick it up and play whenever you want. That's the best thing about that game is you never feel like you need to, uh, you know, constantly keep up with it. Um, so just like jump in, jump out. Um, and my friends felt like playing it, so that's a bigger reason as well, because that game's kind of... It's, it's a different game when you play by yourself as when you're playing with friends and stuff like that. Um, totally. Yeah, so it was just fun uh, messing around. Played on the new map quite a bit. I really like the new map. I like its layout. Um, I think it's the prettiest out of all of the maps, um, and maybe just it's because I've had my eyes set on all those other maps for so long that this new map is really refreshing, but yeah, yeah it's really cool. Um, it's pretty much it. What have you guys been playing? So, um, this week, uh, like I said last week, uh, our conversation kind of got me back into thinking about playing some games since I had taken such a long break, like an, a month and a half, maybe. Um, so, I played a bunch of Witcher 3 Blood and Wine, um, pretty close to finishing that one up. I've done, like, all the side quests and uh really all i have to do now is just finish out the main story um still awesome still loving it um and then played a bunch of bloodborne um super close to finishing that one uh there were a couple of bosses that i was really having trouble with in some of the uh last couple chalice dungeons oh yeah Uh, but i beat let's see i got through the is's i guess you would call it and uh, the Ailing Lauren. So the only one I have left is the Ailing Lauren Root uh, Chalice. So got one more dungeon left, and that's it for Bloodborne, which it's about time. I've been playing it for like, I don't know, 130 hours on my first playthrough. So <laughs> um, about done with that one. And then uh, I've been getting an itching to start watching some Gundam anime. I was just uh, really feeling the old Gundam. Uh, so downloaded the first season from 1979 Whoa. Mortal Suit Gundam 
and uh, this is a remastered version on Blu-ray, but it uh, it's actually really good. Like um, some people were saying, you know, it looks too old, or it's you know the voice acting's rough, and it's to me it's got like the perfect amount of cheese to it. Like it's not. <laughs> None of the voices are just, like, god-awful, and none of the animation is just dog shit, so um, it's definitely nothing, like, too perfect. It doesn't look too amazing or anything, but uh, it's definitely cool, and uh, I'm definitely glad I decided to check it out. Um, And besides that, um, I watched The Exorcist, the original Exorcist, for the first time, and uh, that was really solid. Uh, Didn't actually enjoy it quite as much as I thought I would, just because... Uh, people speak so so highly of that movie, um, but I definitely thought it was good and uh, really cool special effects for the time period that it was made in. So, um, yeah, that was my week. What about you, Ian? What have you been playing? Uh, uh, well, I've been playing Destiny. Uh, <laughs> Rise new... of Iron. Rise of Iron. Um, yeah, and it, I mean, I'm trying to get up to 350 so that Huber will actually play with me. Um, <laughs> I was trying to play with him the other day, but I mean, he was trying to get the review out, so he was like, you'll slow me down, I gotta finish, and I was like, <laughs> okay. And I was giving him a hard time, but uh, yeah, I'm like 336, just trying to get those numbers to go up, because the story's not really there. Huh, sounds um, about like Destiny. Yeah. My, uh, what I never guessed. Sarah, actually, who I played uh, For Honor with the other day um, in Easy Update, uh, she she put it the most perfect way. Uh, she said that, and I think I mentioned this somewhere else, but uh, she said that Destiny has, like, narrative uncanny valley, where yeah. it seems like the writers know what emotion they're supposed to invo- evoke, yeah, uh, and they they do it without doing it. They're like, oh, just say it like like it's this big emotional thing, and we'll trick people into thinking that we actually earned it. And it's really funny because yeah, not no part of that story feels human, but it's really interesting and fun. The game is fun. I think that's um, part like the whole grimoire card thing. It's like yeah, it it looks really pretty. It looks like Mass Effect basically, and it seems like it would be a a really cool space opera with like deep lore. But it's it seems like it's a lot more style over substance. Yeah, it's just it's just a I mean it's a really really well made shooter. Yeah, like, gameplay gameplay really wise. Good. Yeah. 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 The shooting feel like I'm not good at at shooting stuff generally like <laughs> first person shooters like in Overwatch I play as Mercy and D.Va um, cuz my aim is garbage. Um, it's a little better on PC than on consoles, but for some reason in Destiny I can shoot things most of the time. So <laughs> I don't know what they did, but, uh, and then, uh, a little preview, I guess, but, uh, today, or this week's easy update, Ben and I play Spy Party, and, uh, oh. I've never played Spy Party before, uh, it's a lot of fun. One person is a spy, and the other person is a sniper, trying to figure out who the spy is, uh, and you have to complete little tasks. But the AI moves and does stuff the same way the spy does, so it's really hard to tell uh, who's real and who's fake. Sometimes it's pretty, it's pretty fun. It's really hard to talk while playing it, though. So okay. the episode won't have a lot of talking in it. <laughs> well, it's but funny because it seems like a. I know Spy Party's uh, an older game, not too old, but like I think it came out like what a couple years ago, maybe a year ago. 
Ew. Well, that's the thing. It's it's been in beta for oh, okay. since like 2011, and I don't think it's actually out yet. It's wow. Still, it's still in beta. Um, yeah. So, I don't know what's going on there, but. Jeez. Well, that game is pretty interesting. It's pretty fun, like you said. It's kind of like a. Maybe that's where the guys who made that box game that you. I remember you playing a box game uh, where everyone's a yeah. box. It's kind of like yeah. kind of like the same kind of shtick where you're trying to figure out and not get caught yourself. Um, yeah. Seems like a fun time. Those games seem like they're they're fun with just two people, but the more people you get in, becomes more and more hectic, and yeah, it looks like a crazy time. Um, for 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 what the box for sure. Uh, Spy Party is actually so far only two player. Oh, it's only one, two ooh. player. Okay. Yeah, one one person's the spy, one person's the sniper, and as far as I know, that's it. Them's the breaks. So uh, we, we we were saying like, yeah, it'd be interesting if there were like two or three spies, and you just had to do a bunch of stuff, and the sniper had to get rid of all three of you or something. It'd be so hard, though. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Um, um, a question I, I want to have uh, ask you about Destiny is it seems like... So, a lot of my friends got out of Destiny just because, like, there wasn't a lot there and it's very grindy. But it seems like yeah. the people who stuck with Destiny are also the same people who don't mind grinding in, like, M like PC-based MMOs, like World of Warcraft and stuff. Do you think, like, that's that's their whole... Like, obviously, they're trying to be a, a PC MMO in some terms, and... Do you think that, that those are the kind of people that they're trying to get on console? Like, maybe the people that have never played a World of Warcraft game but still have those same kind of, like, uh, addictive tendencies, but they're console gamers, you know? Yeah, I think... I mean, I think I think that the, the remaining Destiny audience... I think there are two kinds of people. I think there are the people that you described were super grindy MMO, like, mega fans, where they, yeah. you know, just want all the things and max out everything, and, like, they're the new cap, the day the expansion comes out, that kind of stuff. And then uh, there are people, I think, like me, and I think Huber's the same way even with World of Warcraft and stuff, um, where you hard quit in between expansions. Yeah. yeah. So, like, for me, I've, I haven't played Destiny since whatever the, the Taken King, since I got tired of Taken King, uh, you know, and now I jumped back in just because it's fun and, like, friends are playing it um but i'm not you know super religious about it i haven't actually beaten any of the raids i've played two of the early ones uh we plan on going through them all now but uh you know so i just kind of play it you know it's it's it really is just hang out and shoot stuff and fun mechanics while talking to your friends <laughs> kind of a kind of a game you know it's like uh i i prefer Diablo 3 on PS4 which is a similar kind of vibe where you're just hanging out with somebody and and numbers are happening getting some loot yeah but it's fun uh so that's all I've been playing uh Jordan mentioned some shows so uh I just finished Dark Matter season 2 which is a sci-fi channel sci-fi show they're doing sci-fi again uh which which is great. Uh, I love that show. It just has good vibes. It's not an amazing show, um, but the stories are cool, and it just feels good to watch it. It feels kind of like uh, a, a more fun 12 Monkeys, which I also enjoy, because uh, the vibes are just really chill. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I've been watching the new American Horror Story, actually, which is kind of a surprise to me, because I didn't like season two at all and then didn't watch three four or five uh 
But this season's actually been pretty cool. It feels more like the first, more of a cohesive kind of story, and uh, the 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 backstory is really cool, and they were really secretive about it, and it's kind of fun, kind of figuring it out as the story goes along. And and the the they've changed the format up of the show, so it's kind of it's like a not a spoof, but like it's set up like one of those like crappy like learning channel shows like my <laughs> terrible ghost story or you know whatever like the, the season's actually called my roanoke nightmare and so they have like lily rabe is playing the quote-unquote real present day version of someone giving a two-camera interview and then a different actress uh is playing her in the dramatic reenactment huh. in the episode and like they even have like that crappy, kind of typewritery font that says dramatic reenactment and stuff. So it's like yeah. they're they're going hard into that sort of format, which is I thought would get tiresome, but it's actually pretty cool. Hmm. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, so if I'm a big sci-fi fan, should I get into Twelve Monkeys? Yes. Okay. That it, was uh, that was all I needed. I'm, I was teetering on that one as well. It's yeah, it's good. It's good hard sci-fi. Uh, if you don't watch The Expanse, uh, also watch The Expanse. Okay. The Expanse is like sci-fi with a capital S. It's it's incredible. It's 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 very Battlestar Galactica kind of in scale and vibe. Mm. Um, and so far, it's it's really good. Very intense, complicated narrative and really neat sci-fi stuff. And some of the best. Some of the best zero G stuff I've ever seen on movies or television. It's Ooh. really good. Yeah. I will put those on my list. Yeah, the expanse is out of control. It's so good. Um, season one is done. Season two comes back sometime. I don't know. Ooh. Okay. I might get into those too. Sound interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. So we're gonna get into the news here. Uh, the first story comes by way of IGN. Uh, Joe Scrabbles writes: Ubisoft won't necessarily release Assassin's Creed or Far Cry games in 2017. Uh, we kind of talked about this last week with Huber. Um, there was an interview with Yves Guillemot, uh, or Guillemot, or however you pronounce his last name. Yves Guillemot. Um, and he was talking uh, yeah. about how uh, not to expect Assassin's Creed next year, that they're not giving a definitive date. This is uh, kind of like a follow-up story, but not really. Um, but uh, most assumed the series would take uh, be taking a single year off. This may not end up being the case, and Far Cry may also be going away for longer than expected, which is not too surprising considering Primal came out earlier this year. Um, but speaking to IGN, Ubisoft uh, VP of Editorial Tommy uh, Francois explained that both Assassin's Creed and Far Cry were undergoing close scrutiny during development with a very particular goal in mind. I'll tell you what, we believe Alpha for these games needs to be one year before release. We're trying to achieve that. That's super effing blunt, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. This is the goal we're going for. Alpha one year before, more quality, more polish. Wow, um, that's huge, man. Yeah, so you figure um, if that's what they're sticking to and it's a, a alpha a year before release then unless we get an alpha for assassin's creed empire or the new far cry neither of them are coming out next year right if that's the case um, right yeah what do you think about this Ian? what do you think about no far cry or no assassin's creed next year as well i think it's a good thing like i definitely i mean in the article uh francois says that you know, yeah, it's it's more of a creative decision than a marketing decision. Um, 
But I do think there was a lot of oversaturation, and mm. also given all their tech problems with the last few games coming out, yeah, you know, I think it's not a bad idea for them to make sure that they work better before putting them out. You know. Yeah. Um. And then they he also talks about taking it away from that yeah taking it away from that open world kind of vibe. Uh, he doesn't really specifically say what what that means, but they're prototyping other kind of styles of gameplay, which I think would be cool for Far Cry and Assassin's Creed. Like, I was imagining a tighter narrative Assassin's Creed or Far Cry game could actually be kind of interesting. I wonder what that would be like or yeah. what they would do. Yeah. It's crazy because I was watching... I remember watching uh, footage for AC Syndicate last year. I think it was, like, last summer. And it had the pre-alpha gameplay tag up at the top of the screen. Um, and honestly, for me, when I played Syndicate, I had played played Syndicate day one, and I played uh, Unity after a couple patches. But for me, I actually had more glitches in Syndicate than Unity, which hmm. uh, didn't seem like the most the case for most people. But yeah, it's crazy that they, you know, like for their last game, they were so close to release, and they were still in alpha. So the fact that they're trying to be a year out is like a really big jump for them, and and that makes me really happy. Well, I think and it also sorry, go ahead. Ian. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say it also sounds like they're doing that year early thing so that uh, if they show it to someone and then they're like, "Hey, this gameplay style is terrible," yeah, they can change it yeah. with enough. They have enough time to actually just uproot everything. I see a lot of changes taking place. Of course, there's the whole. Uh, Vivendi takeover happening with Ubisoft, um, but besides that, just internally, I see a lot of progressive thinking for them. I mean, to be honest, they could probably sell plenty of copies of an Assassin's Creed game year in, year out for the next 10 plus years, I bet. Yeah. And so uh, the fact that they're saying, no, we're focusing more on the creative aspect, we could make money, but we really want to make a great game. Um, that I'm just so happy to hear about that because um, that reminds me more of Ubisoft from um, the uh, the first decade of the century where they were, um, you know, 2002, 2004, they were really putting out amazing games. They weren't annualizing franchises. And uh, so I like this return to form, as it were. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like yeah. the biggest jump in quality for an Assassin's Creed game was one to two. Like, a lot mm. of people didn't really like one, and then people loved two. And then, though the games have gone progressively, I guess they look better and they probably are mechanically better. But there hasn't yeah. been a huge jump, really. It's like very, very small iteration. So I would, I would agree. Yeah, so I'm, I'm assuming that they're trying to do something new too, and also to the point of like getting rid of the open world formula. There is this kind of like this weird, uh, oh, it's a Ubisoft game, and that kind of springs into somebody's mind. Oh, so it's an open world where you have to get certain towers to unlock the map in certain areas. Like it's kind of a thing mm -hmm. in people's brains. So maybe they want to get away from, you know, the Assassin's Creed and Far Cry is being known as like Ubisoft games where it's like you already expect one thing and there's nothing new there or creative. So people um, always talk about how as soon as you get into those games, especially Assassin's Creed, I'm working on the platinum for Unity right now. And every time I open the map, it is just covered in icons and symbols of things yeah. to do and collect and towers to climb and synchronize. And I guarantee you. Next Far Cry, next Assassin's Creed, it's going to be way drawn back. Yeah. 
Um, the next story here, you actually kind of mentioned earlier, uh, the whole Vivendi takeover of Ubisoft. Uh, Ubisoft actually got a small win today as of recording this episode. Um, they uh, actually won um, some some uh, votes for board of director. Uh, Ubisoft evidently won a victory today over French media company Vivendi in its attempt to thwart a hostile takeover, as the French publisher's board of directors approved its slate of candidates in the annual meeting, um, one of them being Yves Guillemot and uh, three more people being uh, Ubisoft-related uh, uh, or recommended independent members. So hmm. that's another step towards them trying to fight off this takeover. They've been doing a lot on social media saying we are Ubisoft and stuff like that. Uh, it's kind of crazy. I, I wasn't even familiar with hostile takeovers until this whole Ubisoft Vivendi thing came up. And then I started doing yeah. research, and it's not a it's not a super common thing in the business world, but it is more common than you'd expect. And it's right. crazy how these things come about. And I I'm glad to see that Ubisoft kind of got a small victory here. It doesn't mean that it's over and Vivendi won't take them over or anything, but it is a small victory. So, what do you guys think about this whole Vivendi takeover? What do you guys think about that? So the. Uh interview where eve was talking this was the one that we talked about last week where he was mentioning um assassin's creed empire will be ready when it's ready um maybe not even in 2017 um i think it was that same interview that he talked about uh a little bit with the takeover and how um he made some really important points to me that i heard about where he was saying you know if vivendi takes us over they're focused on the business side and they're really not focused on the creative side. I mean, they're going to let us be creative, but they're not a gaming company. They're not a big uh, gaming conglomerate. And so that's not the creativity of the video games. They just don't get it. They're not specialized in that aspect. And so um, comparing it to someone like Bethesda, who's owned by Zenimax, um, people are saying, well, you know, Bethesda gets all the creative uh, freedom that they want and uh, you know it's it's worth pointing out that Zenimax is more focused on games they know video games inside and out they know how to treat a developer and a publisher and that helps a lot when you're Todd Howard trying to discuss these things with the big company that's going to be funding you and so um, I totally get where Eve's coming from where um, Vivendi doesn't get those things. They don't understand gaming the way that he does or the way that Ubisoft as a company does. So I think it's really important for them to win this independence, and I'm really rooting for them because um, that could really help push this um, creative force that you see them working with right now. And, and I hope that, that um, that's how it goes down. I really hope that they're able to gain their independence. Do you th and I have to go, ahead. Uh, go for it. I was just going to say, I have to wonder how often these hostile takeovers uh, work out because, yeah. you know, I mean, you think about when Words with Friends was purchased by uh, whatever and uh, things like that, where the second the new owner takes control, it just plummets in popularity. And like yep. something like this, Vivendi, I can't really understand what their play would be because... If they're doing a hostile takeover, that implies that they're very kind of micromanagerial and like they're going to want to get their hands in there maybe. Yeah. And if they succeed, it's basically like that's not going to reflect well on Ubisoft. So the consumer is going to 
lose confidence in the company yeah. if if they succeed in buying the company and then the company will be devalued possibly because of that so it's a very weird thing in a, in a public facing company like this where it's what do you expect to gain like i could see if if they're like a 10 cent that owns riot or whatever or like a zenimax where you buy them above board and then just let it keep running and you just yeah. siphon some of the money off the top like that's how you acquire a company because then you just get money and you don't need to change anything really and people right. don't get mad at you for doing that uh but yeah a lot of times when things are done this way not above board or like in a skeezy kind of way i think it's sh you're shooting yourself in the foot so i wonder what they're even i guess i don't really understand why people would want to hostily take over something unless they're trying to uh, destroy competition somehow but yeah 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 it's like they're they're a publicly facing bad guy like are what, what's the end game there it's really weird right. yeah um yeah if i was if i were to buy a company or try to take over a company i would do it behind closed doors like you said and just let them continue doing what they're doing and not try to be so i don't know crazy about it, it seems like it's a lose-lose um yeah none of us are are super rich business ceo so what do we know i guess that you <laughs> know of jared <laughs> that's, you, yeah, that's true that's true um <laughs> so the last story here comes uh, by way of pc gamer uh joe donnelly writes cyberpunk 2077 could feature a huge living city and seamless multiplayer uh so the witcher Ooh. dev has uh, filed grants via the polish game inn program for open world building tech um cd project red's next game supposedly has more people working on it than the witcher 3 ever did However, little else is known about Cyberpunk 2077 beyond its table, uh, tabletop roots. Geralt's last outing set the bar high with regards to open-world exploration, and it seems the Polish studio is keen to keep this momentum going. Having applied for grants via the Polish game INN program for various technologies including uh, city creation, animation excellence, cinematic feel, and seamless multiplayer. As reported and translated mm. by Game Pressure, city creation is a complex technology for creating a huge living city playable in real time, which is based on rules, AI, and automation, as well as uh, supports innovative processes and tools for making top-notch open-world games. Um, there, the story goes into um, the rest of the, the, the grants that they filed for and just talks about Cyberpunk 2077 in general and CD Projekt Red moving forward. Um, this is interesting. I... I think that Witcher 3 was very successful. Obviously, won tons of Game of the Year awards. I think that Cyberpunk 2077 could be a bigger success for them. It seems like yeah. um, the, 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 the set of the game and just the main character and the feel of the game seems like it lends well more towards a, a very like large audience. I think it could yep. handle a bigger audience than Witcher 3 did. And Witcher 3 yeah. was super successful. Um, I'm interested to see how this game turns out. I'm interested also to see if CD Projekt Red does the announce the game and then it comes out six to eight months later. They've already had a, they've had a cinematic trailer. Yeah, they had a trailer a few years ago. Okay, so now that we have you here, Ian, my topic for you, I wanted to talk about, so I saw this article on Polygon uh, by Colin Campbell and it stated the problem with walking sims. And uh, there's been a lot of like conjecture and talk about whether walking sims should be considered video games. Um, he goes into it and says, uh, states, uh, in the past few years, a game genre has emerged that's found millions of fans. So-called walking sims like Dear Esther, Gone Home, Firewatch, and Virginia have extended the definition of games from physical and mental challenges to narrative experience that tease nuanced emotional responses from players. These games have also attracted plenty of criticism from people who refuse to recognize them as games due to their general lack of puzzle or physical manipulation elements. Um... Then he goes on to actually have an interview with the guy who, cre one of the creators of Dear Esther, uh, Dan Pinchbeck, 
And Dan Pinchbeck basically states that it doesn't matter if you understand it or it doesn't matter if you'll get it. It's not a problem to be solved. It's just a thing to be in for a while. Uh, critics inside that, uh, critics insist that a game is only a game if it presents some kind of challenge or a definitive fail state. Pinchbeck takes issue with this view while acknowledging the difficulty of hard and fast definitions. Maybe it's because I started playing games in the late 70s and early 80s. The stuff coming out was just completely crazy. People just trying stuff left, right, and center. It felt like games were always about questioning what could be. I think it's one of those things that once you start unpicking it, it starts coming apart at the seams. If it's all about a game, uh, if it's all about a game having to have mechanics, well then you start to go, Space Invaders is it less of a game than Far Cry because it has fewer mechanics. Or if a game is about having a fail state, then does that mean that a game doesn't punish, if a game doesn't punish you like Far Cry for dying, or where death is pretty trivial, does that make it less of a game than Bloodborne, where the stakes for death are higher? Whichever way you come at it, you start unpicking both strands, and it doesn't really make sense apart from the feeling of what a game ought to do. So the reason I brought up this article is, uh, like I stated before we started recording, Ian, I think you're like really creative and artsy. I think you have a way of looking at games that maybe the average like gamer or game journalist doesn't really look at games. And uh, I know you, hearing you talk about Inside and other games, you have a real appreciation for games that try things and aren't just cookie cutter. Um, I want to hear what your opinion is on like walking sims and whether they should be considered games. And you think this whole argument's like kind of dumb, really? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I mean, Bloodborne is more of a game than Far Cry. So we can just put that one to bed. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, I mean, th yeah, I mean, you sort of said this. The The whole discussion is very strange to me. It's like, t to the critics, I would just say, why does it matter? Why yeah. does it matter if you call this a video game or if you call it a movie where you hold W down to move forward? Like... <laughs> I mean, and there is a term for it, walking sim. Like, sure, fine, whatever, but what does it matter if you, like, what, how does it offend you that a walking sim exists? Like, would you rather there not be Dear Esther, not be Gone Home? Yeah, you know? yeah. But, I mean, like, to, to actually talk about it, like, I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with a controlled experience. Uh, Dear Esther, I love Dear Esther. It has my favorite video game soundtrack of all time. Um, and it does have game-like elements, to my understanding, where um, there's, like, the A script, B script, C script thing, and it will load one or the other uh, in different locations, so it changes slightly different playthroughs. Um, I believe that's how that game works. Uh, and also, it's kind of a narrative puzzle, too. Mm. Um, and I think that games are really unique in that, you know, oftentimes one person can make a game. You know, and th when that's the case, uh, you're not beholden to anyone else. You're not, no one is, is breathing down your neck. No studio is saying like, oh, well, you have to make this make sense to, to you know, the, the mass, the masses, the, the Joe Schmo consumer, you know, like, Dear Esther doesn't have a clear, you know, uh, narrative through line that's explained within the game itself like you have to kind of think about it and look at it and there's still it's room for, there is a lot of room for interpretation and i'm not saying that films like that don't get made because obviously they do i mean think about yeah. upstream color or like any david lynch film or like various you know myriad art films uh, but i think that if we outlawed or whatever games like dear esther or gone home then a serious voice would be missing from video games. And I think 
I think the fact that you don't have that you can't manipulate anything in Dear Esther, I don't think that's necessarily a problem, as long as you know you know that you kind of know, especially now, that's what you're getting into um, when going into that. And I think like kind of in a funny way, if if No Man's Sky had marketed themselves as kind of a walking simulator, like an art game, without a necessary aim, you know, yeah, it probably would have sold fewer copies by a lot, and it wouldn't have been as popular, but people wouldn't be pissed, because that's what that game is. That's a and, good point. You know, and, because, I, mean, I don't know why, like, I had, even, even when we had that, like, hilarious, uh, fight at game trailers during E3 when we were all screaming at each other like morons about <laughs> No Man's Sky and like swearing <laughs> at each other and standing up. Uh, we'd been streaming for 16 hours, you know, so take it with a, that in mind. But like, if I remember, I haven't watched it again, but if I remember, my, my main thing was like, Jones's thing was, what do you do in that game? And he was saying, like, they never say what you do in that game. Yeah. And... I mean, now there's a news story came out today that uh, No Man's Sky is being investigated by the European uh, Advertising Standards Authority, and it's like, wow, yeah, and for false advertising, and um, that's insanity. I mean, like, sure, you know, po possibly false advertising has taken place, so they should for sure uh, investigate that. But if they had just said, hey, it's Proteus, and sometimes you can fly into space, mm. you know, the game would have sold way worse but no one would be pissed, and I, that's kind of always what I assumed the game would be, and I never had a problem with those games. I love Proteus, you know, like, it's an hour and a half long, you walk around in nature, and then you watch the sunset, the northern lights, and float away. Like, that's that game. Spoilers. Mm. But, um, <laughs> you know, and, and weirdly, though, uh, on the flip side of all of this, uh, and I hope I'm not just kind of rambling, but, like, I think that Dear Esther is a very focused experience, and I think that Gone Home, Gone Home probably has the best narrative of the examples that we've discussed so far, because it's emotionally driven, your choices do actually kind of sort of make a difference, the order that you look at things, and if you don't find certain things or open certain things, you can miss out on details. Uh, when I actually, like, I had a moment with Gone Home very similar to my read on Let the Right One In, the, the vampire movie, uh, where, like, literally the next day, or, like, a couple days later, I was thinking about it, and then I was, I had, like, a realization, and I was like, oh, that's totally different than what I thought was actually going on, you know, and it was just for yeah. me thinking about what I'd seen, um, and I was like, oh, yeah, that make that, everything clicks into place now, like, this thing is what was really going on in the background there, um, Whereas I think uh, uh, a game like uh, Firewatch, uh, I think also ha kind of had a little advertising issues because they were being very secretive and, it, and everyone kind of thought that there would be some kind of like supernatural element going on and like yeah. they, they said Lynchian I think at some point or like Twin Peaks, like weird stuff got mixed in there. And I remember being disappointed because... I don't think this counts as a spoiler, but the the game is very much kind of just slice of life. And yeah. I remember the whole time I was playing that game, I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, and it never does because that's not what that game is. And I think that 
I would have been less disappointed in that game if I had known more kind of what I was going in for. Um, which brings me to the main concern that a lot of people have with games like this is that 20 bucks seems like a lot for an hour and a half long game or four hour game. Especially when you don't quote unquote do anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think some of these games have some of the best art uh, and, and ideas that are happening in video games. Mm. 30 Flights of Loving or Proteus or Dear Esther. Some of the best music, some of the best innovation, really interesting uh, ideas are happening. And they happen in these games that are walking simulators. And uh, so I, I love them personally because I like to experience these kind of narratives um and i would be really sad if they went away and uh i mean hell i made a song about them but um it's funny though because i don't like the last of us right because i think i think i would like the last of us uh more if it was a walking simulator for me because yeah. I don't, I don't like the gameplay mechanics in that game. I don't like having to rebuild oh, shims all the time. Yes, come I to the dark side. Yeah, I don't, I don't like, I don't like the way combat works in those games. I don't like having to craft items like that all the time. Uh, it just gets tedious and kind of boring. And like, the gameplay. I mean, everybody talks about ludo narrative dissonance, tra la la. But like, you know, the 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 point I. I really lost faith in The Last of Us was when I was in the city hall and there were just waist-high walls everywhere and I was like, oh, I'm about to get in a shootout. And then I did. Yeah. Because there were a bunch of incongruous crates and little walls everywhere and I was just like, ugh, this is, you know, like... And I, I actually did like Uncharted 4 quite a bit. Uh, I played it on Explorer mode. I wish that <laughs> there... I wish that Explorer mode took combat out entirely um, because it's uh -huh. just tedious. Uh... But even in that game, like, it's so funny, like, I'm getting a little off the beaten path here, but, uh, you, to me, it's like, you either go for realism or you go for having a fun game. And if you've got a crate full of grenades and I can see that it's full, but I can't take any more grenades out of it, I'm going to get annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, whereas walking simulators, you know. They're not flawless, but... You don't I, have that dissonance. Yeah, you don't have that problem. And, like, sure, it's a movie that you control. Like, you could boil it down to that. But, like, do, do the critics of walking simulators then assert that movies aren't art? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I, the weird thing is, it's like, they're complaining about having more on their plate. Like, you know, so you go to a buffet and, like, they give you an extra scoop of something. It's like, oh, why should I have that on my plate? It's like, it's free right. food. Like, why are you complaining about more food? Like, <laughs> right. um, I think it also comes from the, the comparing them to movies. I think it's easier for people to kind of translate stuff in movies because not only do you have, like, genres of movies, but then you have, like, your big Hollywood movies and you have, like, your indies and then you have like your short films and i think it's hard for people to kind of see it that way in video games because like yeah. hey, walking sims are kind of like kind of like short films right in a way yeah. we have our indies already and we have our big games but i think it's i think it's, people are still trying to figure out that and also you were talking about the walking sims people have a problem with the price i think that that goes into a whole another discussion for another day of like you know what's a game's worth 
But I think a yeah. lot of times the people who kind of question the value of walking sims never do the opposite and question the value of a $60 game. Like, just because yeah. you can play a game for 50 hours, does it still mean it's worth 60 bucks? Like, right. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Destiny early in the episode, like, I kind of got... I kind of felt a little bit salty after I bought Destiny and played it just because it's a... Mechanically, the game's great. Shoot The, it, the shooting mechanics in the game are second to none. But... The rest of the game, there's no narrative. Uh, it's I don't like doing the same thing over and over again. I'm not an MMO guy. I don't like that yeah. grind. It's not my thing. And I felt kind of jaded because I was like, I, you know, I spent sixty bucks on this. I don't think I, it was worth sixty bucks. And then to see like a bunch of their DLCs, like they sell them for thirty bucks, and a lot of them are just literally some of the same missions just uh, remixed or like backwards. I'm like, that's not yeah. worth. That's not worth it to me. And you know, Activision yep. is Activision has made a lot of weird choices lately, especially with like the COD Four remaster being tied to Infinite Warfare, and you can't buy it on its own, and you have to buy the eighty dollars version of Infinite Warfare. Super weird. Like, yeah, I, I don't like that stuff. But I, it's I always find it weird that people question like the value of of indie games or like Walking Sims, but they never turn it on its head and question the value of these big AAA's or just games that cost sixty bucks in general. And I don't know. I think I think Walking Sims are a are very important to the gaming industry i think yep. that they they allow creativity and they spawn creativity and i think it helps triple a's or maybe even other indie studios strive to include some of these things in walking sims and it's all about being immersed really i mean yeah. i like playing 60 dollar triple a games that you know the mechanics and the gameplay is really good but a lot of times the stories here or there really and walking yeah. sims you're there to be immersed. You know, when you get into a walking sim, you're there to experience it, you know? And I like not having to worry about, uh, you know, quick time events or having to shoot a guy or having to do this. You're just taking it all in and exploring a world. I think that's cool. Honestly, I would love walking sims in worlds that already exist for video games that already exist because it's a different yeah. experience huh. in that same world. I would yeah. love that. I would absolutely love that. Um, Dude, can you imagine Bioshock Infinite where you didn't have to ooh. actually do the combat? Wow. Like just experiencing that world, it would be great. Bioshock, the original walking simulator, that'd yeah. be cool. Or just like a walking sim through Rapture, the night things go down, like before yeah. it goes yeah. down, that'd be really cool too. And like, yeah, where you're just trying to survive, like not. Oh man, that'd be great. Yeah, or even honestly, I think it would be. I mean, I know people like like to consider Gears of War like a very broy game, and it is for most parts. But there are some cool story elements in it i think it'd be cool to go around that world too like i think the mad world trailer for gears of war is still one of the most iconic game trailers ever like when people yeah. saw that that trailer people like stopped and paid attention to the tv They're like what's going on you know um but as far as like walking sims i i absolutely love them like you said i think we're both planning on playing virginia um you know there's zero uh dialogue in that game i believe uh or like voice acting so I'm oh, interested yeah. in that. That doesn't turn me off by any means. It actually gets me more intrigued because I'm like, if this game's getting like really good critical uh, reviews, like that means that there's something there. And I think when you when you strip down a game to the bare essentials, I think it's actually harder to make a really good game. I think people think that it's easier. It's not. You have you have less things to work with. You have to capture somebody's attention to get them immersed in a world where there's not all these maybe huge collectibles or people talking to you. You know, I think it's a lot more yeah. difficult. And I think. Uh, I don't know. I just think they, they're, they're a necessity in the gaming industry. So that's my take on it. I think without walk... Yeah, like you said, they're, they are important. Without walking simulators, there wouldn't be so much a push for um, environmental storytelling and um, just storytelling in general in games. I think they're really holding up um, that part of the industry. And so, um, 
yeah, I don't get this hatred for them. I get the fact that you may not want to pay that much for them, but you don't have to. You know, nobody's holding a gun to your head. And, right. And a lot of these games you get for free on PS Plus or games with gold, and and it just doesn't matter. Like, if the games were all garbage and they're really just flooding the industry and, like, taking up space where a good game could be then that's different but i don't think that's the case i think stuff like everybody's gone to the rapture and games like that i mean they really evoke a big emotional response for me when i play them and so yeah i would never want them to be eradicated from the industry i just don't see why you hate them so much i think it's just more classic gamer mentality of oh i gotta beat this i gotta overcome this challenge i gotta win this game and yeah it's not a real game yeah yeah exactly that's not what everything's about not everything's a race or a competition so um yeah i definitely think they have their place in the industry and i'm so glad that they're seemingly here to stay you know we got tacoma coming up and dear esther just came to consoles along with gone home so yeah i'm glad to see him here yeah i think the sorry go ahead ian oh i was just gonna say that yeah i think length uh and quality versus quantity comes into it too because yeah like i've been more egregiously offended by uh you know lengthy games that i feel are wasting my time than a short game like even even walking simulators that i don't love you know yeah. like firewatch i didn't love it it only it only took like four hours of my time right and then i was done yeah and like you know whereas if if i was playing firewatch the shooter it would have been <laughs> it could have been the same story but 10 hours long you know and it's just kind of funny you know like yeah i don't i don't want to go do a bunch of radio towers i want to feel something like bound i played in literally one sitting i didn't even get up to go to the bathroom and i loved it yeah and I, I cherished that gameplay memory you know uh yeah i don't often feel like that about you know triple a titles as frequently yeah i think too like once it comes to like a major saturation point where i mean i think people who are in the know and people who respect video games understand that they they are art and i think that once it gets to a point where it's a little bit more ubiquitous in that sense and people really respect games as art i think if there's ever like a you know a major museum if there's video game museums in major cities i think you will see walking sims in there because they're very important and they are probably the the largest out of sight of just like indie games in general the largest driving force for um true art and expression in video games and it's awesome so sure yeah Alrighty. so we're back here on the controlled interest game cast unfortunately jared had some major technical difficulties and his computer just keeps shutting down so um we're about halfway through the show we just wanted to go ahead and continue since we have ian here so um next we are going to just hop right into the topics here um ian go ahead and be our guest sure uh so the thing something i was thinking about the other day uh games that that you think about all the time and always pretty much always have the desire to go back in and play it some more or replay it but you just know in your heart that you're probably never going to play it again yeah and the kind of the the disconnect there between the the fervent desire to do it and the knowledge that you're never going to do it uh. um for me the game the game that fits this most perfectly is dragon's dogma because 
I love that game so much, and I think about it like a weirdly, like in in a weirdly high frequency. Maybe like every week or two, I think about Dragon's Dogma, <laughs> and uh, and I, you know, I played it on my PS3, which is in my room, and now PS4 exists. So just even playing on the PS3 feels like you know old timey, like slumming it <laughs> to me. I don't know what why, but. And then I thought about buying it on PC the other day, but then I thought about how much greater that game is toward the end game, and like yeah. once you've unlocked all the traversal or like the travel stuff and all that, and, and I was just like, oh god, I can't do the beginning again. Yeah. And so it's just kind of funny that I love this game with all my heart and always want to play it, but just know that I'm never going to play it again, probably. It's actually funny yeah. that you mentioned that because our other podcasting buddy Dominic is uh, currently playing that game, and oh. uh, he is—he's—I think he said the story isn't—he's not in love with the story, but the gameplay is fun. Oh, the story is insanity. It—it it, <laughs> the story's like—I don't want to say it's garbage because it's so weird that it makes it kind of fun. Yeah. But yeah, the story is bananas. Uh, there are huge parts of it, and characters basically might as well just be boards with googly eyes on them. But, like, <laughs> the the story is there enough that it sets up a crazy gameplay shift, twist kind of thing. Mm. Very, It's reminiscent of, uh, I don't know if you played it at all, but I won't spoil it. But uh, it, it, it feels like the inverted castle almost, where it's just oh, like yeah. stuff happens and you're just like, whoa, yeah. like I did not see that coming. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the thing of that is the gameplay. The, the, the game plays amazingly. It's really exciting. The combat is bananas and the, it's very exciting and it's a very old school game where, you know, like it's open world and you just have to walk there. Wow. <laughs> Most of the time, like you just have to walk over there. I mean, I think on the. The PlayStation 3 version, I I wound up... You do get things called fairy stones. Eventually, they let you teleport. But uh, they're consumable and Ooh. pretty expensive. And uh, the way to play that game... I don't know if it's like this on the PC version. But the way I played it was... I played it on PS3. And then Dark Arisen came out. And if you had the vanilla game and bought Dark Arisen, you got... An eternal fairy stone, like a like a item that didn't go away. <laughs> you got actual fast travel. Yeah. So basically, if you if you already played the game and then got Dark Arisen, they gave you fast travel as a gift. Um, <laughs> that's jacked up. And that's the way to play that game. <laughs> like, so I don't know if the PC has that. I hope it does. But oh man, that game would be insane without it. Wow. But like, the coolest thing about that game is wandering from point A to point B and just getting into all kinds of crazy situations that you sometimes can't handle like sometimes there's a big dude that's just there way over leveled and you're just like oh well <laughs> so for me i'm trying to think of some games that i would uh i would say i'm probably never getting back to but um at the same time i have to say i'm kind of a different gamer in that sense mm -hmm. um really like you know people talk about um i don't know if you've ever seen the meme of gandalf where it's like going back to an RPG that you've been away from, and he's like, I don't remember any of this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, none of this is in my memory. Right. Um, and for me, I'm kind of the opposite of most people, I guess, because, um, I mean, if it's been six months or a year uh, where I haven't played a game that I was I was really into, 
a lot of times I can just jump back into it and I kind of give myself some leeway to say like, okay, this first time that I'm jumping back in, I might play for an hour or two, but really yeah. I'm just like reacclimating myself, trying to figure out where the story was and like just getting back in the groove instead of trying to just go back in full force. And that seems to help me a lot because um, I'm able to just come back in and not have any pressure. Um, yeah. So there's a couple games. One, uh, Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep, I have. That's one of my favorite <laughs> games. Um, yeah. My favorite handheld game. And so when it came to PS3, um, I tried to replay it and then just got away from it and didn't really, uh, didn't really go back. And then uh, I sold the game and then eventually picked it up again once it was even cheaper and um, played it again and now have stopped again. But, um, you know, they've announced this Kingdom Hearts 2.8 uh, final chapter prologue, which is the full title. <laughs> um, and basically that is uh, another remaster and then a prologue uh, for Kingdom Hearts 3 and then another thing. Um, but really the, the point is, is that it's called 2.8 and that's really weird because 1.5 and 2.5 were the remasters on the PS3 and then this is 2.8 and then you have 3 and then of course, you know, in between 2.8 and 3 is 2.9. So I am just about convinced that 2.9 is going to be coming out next year and it's going to be 1.5, 2.5 and 2.8 all remastered for PS4, maybe ah. Xbox. And so I'm like, ah, do I really want to go through this uh, remaster of Birth by Sleep on the PS3, or should I just wait? You know, it's like, I'm teetering. So I guess that's a good example for me, just because I want to go back to that game. It's one of my favorite games, and I want to I want to replay it before Kingdom Hearts three. But why would they Why would they call it two point eight? Right. And then have three. Like, why wouldn't it be two point nine already? You know. So. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of just banking on the fact that I'll be able to go back to it on PS4 and not have to turn on my slumming PS3, as you called it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, let me think here. There's, okay, so um, I'm actually pretty down with playing old games. I actually play my PS3 a decent a bit, even though I have a PS4 and an Xbox One. Um, But... I've been trying to get the original Borderlands Platinum forever. And um, I've gone all the way through the main game, and now I'm on the DLC packs. And I need one more trophy. I have to get to level 50. I'm at, like, level 45. But at this point in the game, like, it's just so slow leveling up. And so yeah, even if I beat the whole the rest of the DLC packs, I'm not even sure that I'll get to 50. I might even have to, like do a new game plus or you know something like that so um that game is just like at this point it's just a slog and so yeah that i would say that sounds hard exactly yeah i'm like i said i'm one trophy away i just need the the level 50 trophy but uh just the amount of experience points i'm getting is kind of ridiculous so i would say uh that's at the top of the list for me yeah and it's kind of funny too sort of like a sister question to this is like games that you think about and, and in your memory you love them yeah but then you you play them again and like you're like oh my memory was kind <laughs> yeah, too to kind. this game yes. like whoa yeah yeah i think for that one um like 
whenever I play the Ratchet and Clank remasters or the Jack and Daxter remasters, like yeah, those are some of my favorite PS2 games. And I go back, and it's like, first of all, they seem like kid games, and then I play them now, and I'm like, this is kind of hard. Like I don't, I don't yeah. know how I beat this as a kid. It's tough for me now as an adult. You know, I, <laughs> how the hell did I even do this? So. Um, tenacious and a lot of time yeah <laughs> probably yeah and and you know when you're a kid you don't have all the money in the world but you do have all the yeah. time so you can just kind of like almost waste time on one single game and just methodically go through it but yeah that is a, yeah. a nice sister question i thought of a, a few more like this where uh i always wanted to replay xeno gears and i want to play replay uh, Vagrant, Vagrant Story. Okay. Like those old Square Enix ones. Yeah. But I'm just like, or just Square, I think, at the time. But, right. like, yeah, it's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess um, br- kind of branching off of that, do you, you mentioned uh, not loving going back to your PS3. Do you have a tough time going back and playing older games? N- not not really. It, it, there's, it's, it's weird, right? Because... Uh, Symphony of the Night is one of my favorite games, and I really mm. love the Suikoden games and stuff like that. So going back to older games, I, I mean, I just love sprite-based games. Yeah. Um, and, the, I mean, to me, I think those games are timeless because the look, they look exactly the same as they always have. Yeah. Because it was like an art choice, you know? Right. Um, whereas going back to something like that looked cutting edge at the time... Uh, but is a system or two back. The polygonal looks, stuff, like on yeah, PS1. Yeah, it just looks so weird yeah. and, yeah, muddy, and, and it's like... I do I do really want to replay Dino Crisis right now, though. <laughs> okay. But I think that might be old enough. You know, I guess what I'm saying is, like, there's a one-system, like, memory... Like a, like a psychological block that I have. And this is just a me thing, I think, but... Uh, where, like, one system back, it feels super old, but then, like, if I played a PS2 game right now, I'd be like, yeah! <laughs> huh, wow, that's that's a really interesting point, yeah, because, yeah, like, PS3 or 360 feels so old, but then you yeah. go back, like, ten years before that, and you're like, yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah, you're like, memories, I love this! <laughs> Nostalgia! Which, I mean, that's why they keep making all these remasters, right? So that yeah. you get best of all the worlds! Well, the remasters and... Like, how many indie games are just emulating the 90s right, right now? You know? Yeah, for sure. How many like indie games could run on a PlayStation 1? Yeah, um, I wonder. All right, so that was uh, Ian's topic. Next is mine, and um, I kind of got this topic after watching you guys do Frame Trap um, this week. Um, and you were talking about uh, movies and how... Um, I don't want to get too into this because I have to say I, I kind of disagree on how bad uh, Kingsglaive was. I thought that was actually <laughs> a solid movie, though. Well, don't get me wrong, I had a blast. Yeah, I loved I loved watching it. Yeah, with uh, with everybody. So some of the editing yeah. was rough. Like I noticed that a lot of times in between scenes they would fade in and out, and it almost made it feel like a trailer in a sense. Yeah. That was, was really very... weird. There, there was definitely some janky stuff in there. I can agree with that. Um, but yeah. basically, you were talking about how that had a lot of uh, what you felt like was really rough uh, kind of cinematography and, and just the general aspect of filmmaking. And then you were referencing movies like Mad Max Fury Road 
and movies that really like know what they're doing, know how to um, shoot and know how to like make something look good. Um, and you were specifically talking about action. Um, for me, um, you know, like today's TV shows, everything is shot without a tripod. So mm-hmm. everything is like, you know, you're, you're looking at dialogue between two characters and it's basically like kind of shaking and like the camera's moving just a little bit. Um, yeah. I'm really not a fan of that because whenever you put it on a tripod, which is more of a film thing than TV at this point in their current state, um, but it always looks good, and especially when I'm watching two characters just talk back and forth, I don't really need movement in that to keep me going. You know, I like it to right. just be a really clear and clean-looking shot. Um, so what I was noticing, I was actually playing Witcher while I was watching you guys do Frame Trap, and during the cutscenes in The Witcher, of course, the camera isn't on a tripod because it's you know all made up. Right. And it's a video game, but it seems like it's on a tripod. The camera doesn't move. It's very solid, and it, it's not, like, bobbing up and down like someone would if they were holding a camera, as opposed to uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, which I'm also playing, and the cutscenes in that game, it's almost like there's a cameraman without a tripod. There's a little bit of right. head bob, and, and it moves around a little bit. It looks more like a modern TV show. So um, I guess the topic, or the, the title of my topic is Cinematography and Gaming, and also just like the filmmaking style of gaming. I wanted to pick your brain about this um, because like I said, I see a lot of these cutscenes that are trying to emulate the way TV looks today because you know games are just trying to do that in general with episodics and stuff like that. And I really commend The Witcher because um, not only do they actually have these clean and clear shots, but the cinematography in The Witcher is absolutely unmatched. You can watch these shots and you can just tell that whoever decided to uh, stage the shot the way that they did, they knew what the hell they were doing. They know exactly like what the rule of thirds is. They know mm-hmm. how to frame a shot. They know how to make it look good. And they know how to use the background to their advantage. So um, I guess, yeah, just tell me what you think about the current state of... of I, I'm using the word cinematography, even though, of course, that's not... You know, cinematography is not a part of gaming necessarily. Um, yeah. But just like the filmmaking aspect of gaming, the way it looks, the way it feels, especially in the cutscenes, um, give me your thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I think sort of uh, just starting springboarding from what you were saying about TV, like there, it's all about style and uh, quality, you know, like anything else. Like if if you're if your scene is just, I mean, I haven't played on, uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, but like sometimes people move the camera if they're not confident in how interesting the content is. Yep. And, um, so like someone will start shaking the camera all over the place to make something feel exciting. Right. Uh, or like in their mind, they're like, Oh, we're really going to pep this up, jazz it up by injecting some movement into the frame here. Right. And like, kind of, yeah. The 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 ninety nine cent store version of that is to yeah, just handhold the camera, zoom in a lot, make it really shaky. Yeah. And a lot of times that's not in service of anything, and that's when you notice it being pointless because, like I said, yeah, it's just not helping. It's it's artificial. Right. Um. Whereas, 
if you think of that style of camera work and put it into something like The Witcher, there there would I think be a way to do it. Yeah. But it's a totally different style choice, and I think that the choice they made with Witcher was, I mean, for lack of a better word, to just try to be really classy, you know, mm-hmm. and very um, high art kind of classic filmmaking styles with dollies and static shots and really well framed shots, and I think. You know, there are good examples of handheld and bad examples of handheld. Sure. And good examples of people who never move the camera and bad examples of, of uh, that. The green grasses as they were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, green grass goes bananas when he doesn't need to. Right. Uh, and, I mean, you know, like I was saying on, on our thing, like, I am, I am not a real big fan of shaky camera combat. Right. Because generally it is just artificially you know, adding excitement, and um, there's a really good every frame of painting on YouTube, um, someone shared with me, I think, I thought I'd seen all, all of them, but this one seemed fresh to me, so maybe I hadn't, but uh, it was about Jackie Chan, and the way that his movies and work kind of work, uh, and he, I mean, Jackie Chan says, says in in a better way than exactly what I was saying on, on the podcast the other day, was, uh, if the camera's moving a lot, it means your actor doesn't know how to fight. Yep. Generally. Yep. Because you're hiding it. And um, in games, <laughs> I think that sort of the same thing is kind of true, where, like, if if you feel like the story's not good enough or if you feel like the action isn't going to sell the energy, you do the scene and then have the camera, you know, you keyframe the camera movement all over the place. Um to try to pep it up, and I think that a game like Assassin's Creed Unity has a very kind of energetic feel to it already. Sure. So I could see them getting into that trap sort of where they lean on it too hard. Yeah. Um, because the weird thing about Assassin's Creed games is, the ones I've played, because they have that modern storytelling like framing device, yep. the games feel modern even when they're in the past that's a very good point i agree right so so like the way that they treat those games is like oh yeah this is italy but ancient italy 2014 style you know like we're gonna make the camera move and there's a little glitching and artifacting all over the place whereas the witcher they want it to feel fantasy they want it to feel older yeah still exciting but the feel is way different um I'm trying to think of examples of video games that do that where I think they really don't need to. I mean, sci-fi games where they zoom in and shake the camera and stuff, it feels natural, right? Because it feels more like you're aware of the camera. Yeah. I guess that's what it is. Is like In your video game, do you want to be aware of the camera or not? And, and I, the, the weird example to me is the, the Tomb Raider games. Uh, people have talked about this a lot, but I have a pet peeve when... Um, stuff gets on the camera oh my gosh i was just about to bring this up yeah like uh when stuff gets on the camera but there isn't supposed to be a camera there yeah if it's not found footage right i'm just like i'm like whoa okay immersion destroyed yeah like what it's really funny in in games like tomb raider when they add that because Mm. there isn't a camera there so they're just i mean it's a style choice you know whatever more power to you but it's just very weird because sort of intrinsically along with that it's 
I think, comforting on a subconscious level, if not on a conscious level, because if something's getting on the camera, that means that even subconsciously you're going to kind of think, okay, maybe there's a camera person there too. Yeah. So Lara's not really alone in the wilderness. She's got her camera crew there. <laughs> She's fine. Like they've yeah. probably got a craft services booth, you know, <laughs> down around that hill where it's off the shot, you know? So it kind of lowers the stakes in a weird way, but yeah. their intention is to increase the stakes. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's just me. No. But um, I mean that this is a tangent, but like that's, that's why I don't like, district nine because uh for the first half of that movie the camera person exists uh-huh. and then suddenly without warning without a visual change that i recall uh the police like the the main guy's hiding in the tall grass and the cameraman is just standing up and the police are looking for him and they just don't see the cameraman they look right over by him and they just don't see him and then i'm like in the theater i'm just like uh, okay uh, yeah. i guess there isn't a cameraman anymore. Like it's a movie now instead of a documentary where it had been a documentary previously. Right. It's, it's almost as though like if a Christopher guest, like mockumentary just suddenly became like a Michael Bay movie. It's just like, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense, but yeah, I think it's a weird choice to, to do stuff like that. Um, like Laura Croft games, especially because you know, they want it to, the reason they're doing it is because they want it to be gritty and they want it to be yeah. exciting and they want it to be dirty and grimy and that makes sense but you know on the other hand it is like a very weird style choice you have to frame it from the beginning with that being understood yeah yeah i feel like uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because um as much as i was just praising the witcher for all these style choices that i think they got right um, I just watched a cutscene where a guy got punched in the face and he flipped his head and the spit ran across the camera. And I was like, why? Weird. Like, you're totally destroying the immersion. You're totally breaking your own rules. And, yeah. uh, like, Walking Dead, uh, the TV show will do that where some zombie gets shot in the face and his guts fly all over the camera. I'm like, how is the, how are the zombies not eating the cameraman? <laughs> like, right, know, exactly. If that's the world we're living in, so... Um, you can't have it both ways, yeah. Yeah, exactly, so... Or, like, Children of Men, where you can use the blood on the screen mm. to track where the edits are. Right. Because it's fake. I'm like, you added fake CG blood to the camera in a single-take, quote-unquote, single-take movie, yeah. but you didn't want it to stay there the whole time, so you digitally just faded it away later. It's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's another thing, is Children of Men does so many things right in most of its yeah. camera movement and then yeah yeah the the breaking of immersion i really don't think that's too far of a tangent because this is the type of nitty-gritty i wanted to get into mm -hmm. um yeah breaking that immersion um is one thing that i think is really egregious and that's in film tv games whatever um yeah. but specifically i see with games that um like i said earlier they're really trying to emulate uh mostly tv but you know also some movies they're trying because of the fact that so many people talk about games that as if they aren't art, um, people act like they're childish and that they don't um, really tell like compelling stories and stuff like that. I think yeah. as gamers, we know that to be untrue, but I feel like games and game makers are trying to prove themselves so much that they're willing to just emulate what they see on TV. Well, this is the way that they shoot the the tv shows this is the way the camera shots are framed like 
why don't we just do that the same way? And I'm like, well, really, you guys have more freedom than movies or TV ever could because you don't have the limitations. There is no cameraman. Like, you could have the shot coming from anywhere in the vicinity of your characters because, you know, cameramen can't fly, but you could have your camera flying because it doesn't actually exist. You know, it's like you're, you're putting up creative boundaries when you really shouldn't have any. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, like, even calling it a camera, like, yeah. that's how everyone talks about it, you know? And it's 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 more of, like, it's just the point of view, you know? Right. It's the, the viewport. You could call it whatever because there's not a camera there. Yeah. There's a there's a digital facsimile of a camera. Right. And it's it's just interesting that that's... I think that it, it works on both sides of the fence, like, the game creation side and the game uh, consumption side is that there is this filmic language that's just so built into society and right. like people's understanding of how to digest narrative. Yeah. Uh, Visual and so, narrative. Exactly. And so like, even like if you go into unreal Four engine, you know, you can put cameras around and then you can cut between them. And then, mm-hmm. uh, if you're playing a game, some games are a single take, you know, yeah. but no one thinks about that because it's a game right right and then games like 30 flights of loving where there are sudden edits uh just when you don't expect them and it's very filmic um like brendan does a really good job with that doing filmic editing in games and he's lauded for that because it is kind of unexpected and i think that you know cutscenes in general other stuff play it so kind of you know they play it so average when it comes to filmmaking choices right. for be- lack of a better term uh that it does just feel like you know most game cutscenes are you know you could compare them to just like csi yeah like it's just it's just you know run of them you know not to not to you know crap on csi or anything but like <laughs> it's just very you know cookie cutter safe kind of by the numbers kind of f- filmmaking you know it's like a right. factory and there's that's not to say that you can't have artistic things coming out of those situations but sure. uh i don't know i wonder if if games really leaned on the language more uh because yeah i think it is more like procedural tv but if they leaned more on film and more on these interesting artistic choices i wonder like i know that people would would be down with it i think they would get it and right. You know, you could do things like cutting forward in time more often and uh, these kinds of things. I mean, say what you will about, you know, The Last of Us does that, and it's really pretty cool how it jumps forward, like, X years, you know? Right. And uh, I like stuff like that. I think it's really cool to make choices like that. But even that game plays it very... It's not, It's very safe when it comes to filmmaking. Sure. You know, if you're looking at it just as a cinematic narrative experience it's it's you know basically the avengers um and you wonder if they thought about the motivations of the shots and the framing and stuff like that i think they they i mean naughty dog i imagine does but uh i don't know it's interesting you don't see a lot of games take really out there filmmaking choices Uh, i mean i think about speaking of tv i think about mr robot yeah and the framing and the cutting that they do in that is just so bonkers but it's motivated and and called for by the kind of style and the emotions and narrative of the show it works within the context 
Yeah, and if more games did bold choices like that, I wonder if if it would work. I mean, the problem is, think about like Telltale. If Telltale framed a shot like Mr. Robot frames all their shots where there's somebody just like down in the corner, you know? Right. Everyone would just assume it was a glitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They'd just be like, oh, the, frame, the camera got all off target. Like, whoops. Uh, so I wonder, it'd be... Yeah, I don't know. It, I wonder how far people can go before people would be like, oh, this is broken. Right. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's um, TV and movies. There's uh, constantly filmmakers that come out and put something out there that is taking chances and that is fresh and different. And um, you, I definitely don't think you see that in games. Um, part of the reason, in my mind, being the fact that... Um, you know, these people aren't trained in the art of film or the art of, you know, cinematography and shooting cameras. They're, they're game makers, not filmmakers. And so um, that's probably not their focus or their expertise in, in some sense. I'm sure there's people in the gaming industry that know way more than I do about filmmaking. But regardless, I don't think that's the general majority of, of all game makers. And so... Um, It'll be interesting. I definitely think you'll see in the future as games um, do become more of a storytelling medium, I definitely think you'll see those chances uh, taking place. But yeah, at this point, it kind of seems like um, they're really just watching their favorite TV shows or movies and being like, yeah, let's try to do that. Let's try to, you know, make it look good like a movie or let, make it look good like a TV show. And right. hopefully, I think in the future, you'll start to see more chances being taken. So. The, the one thing, the one leg up that games have that TV and, and movies and even books and stuff don't is culpability of the player character, of the, of the human being playing your game. The interactivity. Yeah, and, and like specifically games that play that against your expectation. I mean like yeah. Shadow of the Colossus or, or Bioshock to certain extents and stuff like that where... I mean, it, the, it's most effective when you're actually offered a choice, and right. then the game says, look at what you've done, you know, reap what you have sown, but um, <laughs> that's something that I think I want more games to, to lean on and, and explore in more interesting ways, because yeah, we've got all these games that are, you know, the Bioware games, the Witcher games, where it's like... Um, you have choices and they change things at the end and like sometimes yeah you get a, a morally gray ending or a bad ending or a good ending right. and stuff like that but as 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 computers get more complicated uh and ai can get more nuanced i think that we're going to see more and more opportunities for games to divorce themselves from this filmic kind of style and really lean on the strengths that they have inherent to their own systems which is unexpected developments and mm. you know sort of like the promise of what no man's sky was supposed to kind of be yes uh, where like these unplanned things can happen and i i mean i can't wait until you know i mean i think by the time we're 50 60 years old you know like down the road 20 30 years uh ai will be advanced enough that you know, maybe the singularity hasn't happened yet, but like it'll be advanced enough where an AI character could do something that the 
creators of the game didn't script. Yes, that's and, what I'm looking for. And that like shocks people and surprises you, and there's a logic to it and it still makes narrative sense, but you go, oh man, like, and makes you feel bad. Like, maybe a choice you made back in the day, like, screwed this AI character over royally, yeah. and then this AI character comes at you, like, not with violence, but with emotions, and just says, hey, you really messed my life up. Right. You know, like, why'd you do that? And then you could just be like, oh my god, I'm a monster, you know? <laughs> and and I think films can do that where they interrogate the viewer and stuff like that, but, like, yeah. games can really do it, because it's you doing it. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I think we're actually closer than th to that than 20 or 30 years. I think um, AI in within video games going off script is is kind of the next push for me as far as yeah. where our video game is going. Because, yeah, like you said, when when a developer can put in the parameters and then the AI can just run wild with it, I mean, think how crazy that would be. You know, people freak out about games like Heavy Rain where it's like, yeah. oh, well, my playthrough is going to be totally different than yours. I mean, think how many possibilities you would have if the AI were able to just completely run wild. You yeah. Know, that, that's really endless possibilities. Um, another thing insane. I wanted to point out, you were talking about Mr. Robot and, um, not to spoil Mr. Robot cause everybody should watch that, but, um, you know, that show deals a lot with an unreliable narrator Yeah, and you really don't see that in video games. Like I can't even think of a single game hardly at all that would uh, be a good example of that. You know, I'm wondering, I mean, like. My memory is very hazy on Max Payne, but I feel like that might have been in there. Yeah, yeah, because he's and doing so many drugs and stuff. Maybe Alan Wake or, uh, I mean, hell, uh, Final Fantasy VII to some extent. Like, Cloud is confused at, at the very least. <laughs> um, yeah. But, oh, yeah, I love I love an, a good unreliable narrator, Yeah, you know? Yeah, when it's oh, done boy. right, like Mr. Robot, it's it's... Um, something you don't really you don't even experience it very often in film and TV yeah um, but yeah once we start seeing I think you could do that if you have this AI that's able to just run wild because then it can say oh I'm gonna trick you a little bit and kind of mess around with your brain so um, I'd love I'd love a video game where you think you're the hero the whole time yep because the character keeps telling you that yeah and then at the end you're like oh I'm a monster yeah. <laughs> like I'm the bad guy here yeah you know, like, you find out. Yeah. yeah. I think I think games have... People talk about, oh, well, VR is, is the next way we're going to play games, the next revolution for games. But I think, you know, just sitting on a console with a controller in your hand looking at a TV, I still think there's a very long way to go that games could, yeah. could come into not only storytelling, but gameplay and just um, the way games work. So I'm excited to see the future, man. Yeah, I think I think better games is always the next wave, right? Yeah. Like, well, hopefully. <laughs> True. Yeah. I guess we will have to see. Um, so closing out the show here. Um, just before we say what we're gonna be experiencing in the coming week, um, I got a couple things to point out here. A little bit of cleaning house to do. Um, we are currently giving away fifteen plus PC games. Um, including The Culling, Road to Valhalla, Speedrunners, and uh, we're going to be giving all those out to one lucky follower. So um, basically all you got to do is uh, go to our Twitter and click the link in our pinned tweet to enter for your chance to win the gaming package. 
and um, you have to uh, be a follower of us in order to uh, be intertwin. Um, so there's that. Um, Got to make sure uh, to mention subscribers. Um, we had Hebron next last week, and he actually helped us bump up a little bit in our subscriber numbers. So uh, nice. shout out to him. Um, we're almost at 50 subscribers, which is a big fat number for us. Um, and uh, that'll be halfway to getting our own uh, custom URL on YouTube. So um, if you're looking for us, like I said, we don't have our own custom URL. Uh, just search Controlled Interest on YouTube and we'll pop up. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at C-T-R-L-I-N-T. Stay up to date with all of our latest uploads and our content on YouTube. Dom, uh, even though he couldn't be here today, he's always tweeting out our stuff for us and uh, letting you know when all our latest videos are out. Um, Jared is at Jared, J-E-R-R-A-D underscore on Twitter. Dom is Dom's Oreos. I am Mellow Modus, and Ian Hink is at Ian Hink. Um, also, if you can subscribe and rate on iTunes, that'd be awesome. Um, make sure to leave us a, a review, whether it's positive or negative. We always love that feedback. Um, so yeah, if you're already awesome enough to be doing all those things, Feel free to just let your friends know about the podcast. Um, the bigger we grow, the better the content gets, and uh, we can make stuff better for you. So let all your friends know. Um, next, what are we going to be doing next week, Ian? What are you going to be watching, experiencing, playing? Uh, well, next week I want to actually play Virginia. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that a lot. And uh, I think I'm going to... Uh, well, I don't want to give it away too much, but I'm going to play an old favorite uh, with uh, a family member coming up soon okay. for my show. So I think it's going to be fun. Hopefully it works out. So I want to guess, but I don't want to spoil your show. So. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, we'll see. I'll, uh, I'll leave that, but I think you might have even dropped a clue about that one on the last frame trap, if there's anybody I out there did. who really wants to do some digging. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, anything else? Uh, just beyond this week, what I'm looking forward to most is the Dark Souls DLC, Thumper, Civ Six, and Last Guardian. Okay. Looking forward to those. So tell <laughs> me, tell me why you're looking forward to Last Guardian? Because we were talking um, with Huber last week about how I'm not sure. I don't. I haven't heard anybody who's excited for that game. I mean, yeah, it's been too long. I yeah. think. I'm gonna. It's one of those things where like I'm gonna play it. Uh, shrug. <laughs> you know, like uh, I'm gonna play it, and uh, we'll see if I love it or think it's fine or am disappointed. It's but yeah, I'm not. I'm not like freaking out over it. It's about the intrigue, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. You just gotta see. Yeah, you gotta watch. You gotta that. see. You gotta watch that train wreck. You gotta watch the world burn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so for me, like I said, I am dangerously close to being, getting the monkey off my back that is Bloodborne. Um, what a beautiful monkey it is. The, the gorgeous, lovely monkey. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm on the last Chalice Dungeon, gonna finish that up. Um, Are you going for the Platinum in that? So that is probably gonna be on my second playthrough, cause I've got like Oh yeah. 50, you have to beat 60. it like four times. Yeah, I okay, think, so yeah, definitely gonna three, take... I think gonna take a little bit more um the witcher i am about finished with blood and wine that one i'm definitely gonna go for the platinum for i'm gonna have to play it twice but uh 
just kind of, you know, going through the motions on my first playthrough, I'm already like 65% through the trophy list. So, mm. um, going to be finishing that up. I should probably finish that one up by next week. We'll see. Um, and then I also forgot to mention earlier, but, uh, I started playing Limbo, uh, oh. because I wanted to get ready for inside. I never beat Limbo. Um, so I got about halfway through that last night on my first sitting and, uh, should be able to finish it up in my second playthrough because I think I got or second uh, sitting because I'm pretty sure I'm like right right around the halfway point. So um, I'm sure I'm going to be watching some good old fashioned Mobile Suit Gundam and uh, you know enjoying that some classic 1970s anime can't really go wrong. Yeah. And um, besides that, oh shout out. Um, have you, are you a fan of Margaret Atwood, Ian? Uh, a little bit. I haven't really read too much of her stuff. but The author? Yeah, so she's uh, the author of the Mad Adam trilogy, which is currently being developed as an HBO series. Oh, and cool. um, she actually just came out with her first graphic novel that she wrote called Angel Catbird. Um, Whoa. Yeah, so it's like about a, an angel catbird, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, wow. So yeah, I'm going to check that out. And uh, also another graphic novel I'm going to read, Gotham by Gaslight. Have you heard of this one? I haven't. This is a uh, DC Elseworlds story, which is like, you know, um, outside of continuity. And uh, basically what it is, is uh, Batman back in Victorian era uh, England, and he's taking on Jack the Ripper. Oh, fun. Yeah, so it's uh, supposedly a really cool story, so I'll be reading that this week. And, um, yeah, that's about it. So, um, Ian, go ahead and tell us where we can find you and uh, pimp your stuff out for us. Oh, sure. Uh, like you said, I'm Ian Hink at, on Twitter. Right. Uh, CK, H-I-N-C-K. Yes. Um, uh, same website. Uh, otherwise, you can check out Easy Allies. Uh, it's this fun internet gaming thing that we do. Uh <laughs> Uh, it's fun and Patreon and all that. Uh, EasyAllies.com will get you to everything on there. Right. Um, I think I think yeah, it links out to everything. Uh, but uh, yeah, we stream, we do shows. Uh, I do a show called Easy Update, which comes out on Saturday nights for some reason. Uh, that was a bad decision on my part, <laughs> but <laughs> whatever. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun, and we're just thrilled that we get to do it. Yeah. Well, we love you guys over here at Controlled Interest. I love Thanks. the way that you guys talk about video games. I think it's really different than anybody else on the internet, any of the other uh, big gaming sites. So um, definitely check them out. Definitely support them on Patreon if you've got the extra bucks to throw their way. And, um, yeah, we want to thank Ian so much for being here on the Controlled Interest Gamecast. Thank and, you. This um, is a blast. I had a great time. Of course. Time. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime, dude. Sure. So, um, yeah, next week Dom should be back, and hopefully Jared's computer issues will be worked out. Um, so, yeah, we'll see you back next week. Catch you cool cats on the flip side.